You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. We've been working, if you're just joining us, through what's called the seven seas of history. And we are now on the fourth sea, which is confusion. We've looked at catastrophe last week as God had ultimately destroyed all of humanity. And we see, we see God's invitation to His people to come and to get on the ark, the ark of safety, by which God would deliver those eight persons. They accepted that invitation and we preached the gospel last week of how we too have been invited into God's method of protection and salvation, which is the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so we see not only the invitation which God gave, we also see the instruction that God gave as to who was to get into the boat and what was to get into the boat. And then we saw God's intention. We saw the God of yesterday is the same God of then as He is of the now. He was a God of, of wrath and justice. Yes, He's a God of love, and yes, He's a God of mercy, but God is a God also of wrath and justice, in which He intended to completely remove humanity, all except Noah and his family, eight in all. That, that is a God that we don't hear about in our day, is it? That is a God that uh, offends people. But yet this is the God of the Bible, and we can't get away from that. I'm always encouraged that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And he called the people to repent and to come to God. and Invited them into the boat, but yet he was deemed crazy. This week we're going to find ourselves in the area of confusion. We see that the flood has taken place. It's rained 40 days and 40 nights. And here Noah has remained in the ark until God has spoken to him. A little side note. Noah did things the way God had called him to do. He was directed to do something and he remained until God instructed him to do differently. And as I thought about that, I wondered for just a moment how many times we in our lives fail to do that. How many times is it that we become impatient with God in something that He has called us to do or something He has called us to invest in of our time, our talents, and our treasure, and when it becomes a, a problem for us, we, we, we tend to exit before God says exit. We shift due to our circumstances, due to the pressure we have. We, we fall away because we lose sight of that which is eternal and we get lost in that which is temporal. Now, I believe we are all very able and capable of doing that. Yet I want us to see and understand that, that 
that here Noah remained faithful in what God had called him to do. When the Lord really desires for us to remain like Noah, be steadfast and irremovable. Here, Noah remains. And really, that's another whole sermon in itself. But we see God speak to Noah. And God says, it's time to get out of the ark and take all of the animals out, you and your wife and your sons and your son's wife, get out. And so he follows the instructions and he obeys the instructions. He hears what God has said and then he obeys. And and I think we need to make sure that when we hear, we obey because if we hear and don't obey, then we just uh, waste our time. Listen closely to what he says next, because I think to understand this whole Tower of Babel thing, we we need to understand this key phrase, and it's really nothing new, but in Genesis 8.17, he says, Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, the birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful, and multiply and fill the earth. He says be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's important. Remember that. Because that is a command of God that they are called to obey, that you and I, like them, are called to follow through with and obey. So God instructs Noah. He listens and God gives him a promise. He says here in verse 21 of chapter 8, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. And I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. It's a promise. God gives a promise. And then proceeding that we see right off the bat in chapter 9, God blesses Noah and his family. And said to them in verse 1 of chapter 9, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Again, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We hear this as the desire of God for His people. To be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You say, why are you making such a big deal of this, Pastor? Because note what God does not say. That there is so many people on the earth that we need to depopulate. Anything that contradicts that which God has commanded humanity is contrary to the words of God. Now I know we live in a modern day culture. But let me remind each one of us. I don't care what the culture says. Children are a gift of the Lord. Now I know that we live in a day when many deem them, even in the evangelical community, as an inconvenience. And unfortunately, we are inconvenienced by that thought process. Because that is contrary to what God's Word says. And anything that prohibits and prevents the multiplication of humanity... God wants us to multiply and fill the earth with godly Christians. And the problem is, we are not as the church. 
Christians have set aside children for the popularity of business. For convenient lifestyles. Prominent opportunities. When God has said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But let me tell you who, who ain't messing up. Muslims. All the other religions of the world. The Mormons. The Jehovah's Witnesses. Interesting, isn't it? They get it. But we find children an inconvenience. Not everybody. I get it. I got seven kids. I tried my best. God gave me the perfect number seven. And God, listen, the reality is, is this is not a knock about how many children you've had. This is a hard issue. Because let's just be frankly honest, not everybody can have children. And so there's adoption, there's opportunities. And God may have only blessed you with one child. Praise God, you, you've been blessed with one child. Three children, five children, seven children. If you're like Jerry, 15 children, his family. The reality is, is we are losing sight of the importance of what God wants for humanity, and that is to procreate, to raise up godly children who love the Lord Jesus Christ. Because whether we like to admit it, they are the next generation who will be standing in the pulpits, who will be aligning the elder boards, who will be fulfilling the role of deacon. They will be standing at the door greeting. They will be doing all of those things that many of you participate in. And if we fail to multiply and fill the earth, what are we doing? We are handicapping the body of Christ from future opportunity. We need to have children and honor the Lord through that and give faithfulness to the obedience of God's call. So God continues to bless Noah. And here we see our first opportunity to eat meat. Praise the Lord. I love steak. I'm sorry. And I'll keep you long enough where you'll be hungry. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all of you as I gave the green plants. But when the Lord gives the animals as food, He gave instructions on how to eat. And then we see the consequences of shedding blood, and which we call in the South murder. We were made in the image of God. And God values every human life. We're created in the image of God. Of God. Listen, He wants His earth to be filled. And, and, and right away in verse 7, what do we see here again for the third time in 13 verses? Verse 7, As for you, be fruitful and multiply. Populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. I think it's very possible and important to understand that God from the very beginning of time was trying to accomplish His purpose of filling the earth with godly children. He had done this one time prior to the flood and then all of the earth was wiped out but ate. There was a lack of people 
needless to say. And God's desire was to then move again forward to populate and fill the earth and be scattered abroad. Because God throughout history has always had a remnant. A faithful few here and there scattered beyond in in the highways and byways of even places tucked away into the jungles, into the plains. Genesis 1.28 reminds us, God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. From the very beginning of time, God's purpose was to fulfill and create in the earth men and women being multiplying and filling the earth. And so in chapter 10, we see the generations of Noah. There was a an expansion of people that began to grow. And so we see Jephthah, Noah's youngest son, and his descendants in chapter 10, verses 2 to 5, where we're largely responsible for founding much of what is now in Eastern Europe. Some uh, the settled in these settlements include places like Ukraine and Turkey and Tobol and Greece and southern Russia, etc. Then you have Ham, Noah's middle child, and his descendants in chapter 10, verses 6 to 19. And they settled in places like Africa and the Middle East, places today which include Sudan, Egypt, Libya, Yemen, Lebanon, and Palestine. And then finally, Shem, Noah's firstborn, and his descendants in chapter 10, verse 21 to 31. And they grew into a dominant nations of the Middle East, which include today's modern-day Iran, Iraq, Assyria, Saudi Arabia. And so that's chapter 10. We see people start spreading over all of the earth as they knew it. And the big question is how? Did the, did the people after the flood, in all of these spreading and growing, did they obey God? I venture to say no. They failed. They failed like the first group failed. Now while yes, they were fruitful and multiplying, and began to fill the earth, we're going to look at that today. And so turn with me to Genesis chapter 11 and we're going to read verses 1 to 9. Now the whole earth had one language and a common speech. That's very convenient, isn't it? That was a blessing. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Sinar and settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Verse 5, But the Lord, Yahweh, came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. And Yahweh said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down. Confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all of the earth. 
and they stopped building the city. This is why it's called Babel, because the Lord, Yahweh, confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord Yahweh scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Chapter 11, 1 to 9, in full is just another time to see and understand what God spoke in chapter 8, verse 21. The intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. In, in, the, in, in the Psalm 51.5 reminds us that in our mother's womb we were conceived into iniquity. There is something we have in common. And that is what we find in Romans 9.3 where the Bible says there is uh, none righteous, no, not one. I'm sorry to disappoint you this morning. But the reality is this. There was but one righteous, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. The rest of us, unrighteous. Now I get the idea of sanctification, positional sanctification. We're justified, we're declared right before God. But that's only because of what Christ has done, not because you and I are righteous. No, we are wicked and deceitful. We are simply continuing a theme of sinful man, full of wickedness and in need of punishment. In, rea in reality, we are all sinful. And it's continued from then until now today. But when you think that these folks, you think they would get it right, but we'll see as we go into the next verse that is not the case. So I want to break down these nine verses into two main sections. The first section is verses 1 to 4, in which we see the people and their actions. And then in verses 5 to 9, we see God and His response to the people's actions. I came up with a few points that I think will help us understand. First, I want you to see that we see man's desire for rebellion. Secondly, we see man's desire for reputation. Thirdly, we see God's restraint against man. And, third, and fourthly, we see God's reversal against man. That brings us to our first point, the fact that we see man's desire for rebellion. He says here in verses 1 and 2, Now the whole earth had one language in common in speech, and as, as men moved eastward, they found a, a plain in, in Sinar, and they settled there. What we see during these times, it was a common language used throughout the world in that day, as the text says they moved eastward. And to find something interesting here is that every Lots of other places, maybe not every place, but continually throughout the text, as we see the idea uh, using the term eastward moving was used metaphorically not as a good thing. Remember Lot in chapter 13? He chooses the valley of the Jordan and moves what? Eastward in 13.11. Genesis 29.1, we see de deceitful Jacob flees from his hometown to live among the people from the east. Genesis 4.16, we see Cain leaving the Lord and headed to settle in the land of Nod, which is east of Eden. There seems to be a great deal of thought that eastward movements 
had an idea of moving out of the will of God. And these people journeyed east and found a place in Sinar. And the key term that should poke our eyeballs is the fact that it says they settled. They settled there. God has given them clear instruction several times to fill the earth, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and scatter abroad. And here they settle. They had made up their minds that this is where they were going to stay and failed to listen and obey the command of God. When God states that they are to populate the earth abundantly, these people had arrived. They were just in a nice, comfortable place. And that should cause us to Consider ourselves. This is the personal application. How many of us in our modern Christian culture have just decided to settle down, to be comfortable, and lose sight of what God has called us to do? Now, I'm not opposed to buying a home purchasing land, living in that place. But we have to consider and ask ourselves a legitimate question as believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have we settled and become complacent? How about as a fellowship? As a church. You know, years ago, five years to be exact, we began this church plant and God began to bless it. And there were several families that began to partner with us here and became a part of the church. And one of the reasons they, many of them left because the church they were attending was too large and there wasn't a great camaraderie and good fellowship among the saints. And I was reminded that when churches grow, they get bigger. And that fellowship becomes harder and harder to take place. We have to be more specific and intentional. And if we are not careful... As this body begins to grow, we will become complacent. And we'll be willing to settle in on just what God has done over the last five years. But I believe that God wants us as a body of believers to be faithful to what He desires for us as a church and be a part of that process in which He grows and makes and establishes just what it is He wants. And therefore, we have to protect about becoming complacent and satisfied with the status quo. And I think that's why we as a church are experiencing what we're experiencing with expansion and growth. And, but with that comes 
kind of a construction zone. Your Sunday shoes may get a little dirty due to the parking lot being dirt at, the, at this moment. It, it, it may cause a little congestion as we had to expand our bathrooms to facilitate lines in the hallway. It may facilitate a necessity for more faithful giving towards the projects which God is blessing us with. There are always the ability to become complacent and settle in and not want anything to change. And so my hope and my desire is that we won't settle in and become complacent. And I don't think we have. But half of the battle is heading it off before it happens. Talking about it before it's a problem. I don't think we have a problem. I think we are, we are driving as fast and as hard forward as we can go, trusting God to provide, and we're even looking at moving into something that seems impossible. But with what is impossible with man is possible with God. So when we have the vision for the new building there, that, that seems impossible to me. But God is able. The old saying, it's, it's easier to move a ship that's moving than it is one parked at the dock. We need to make sure that in our personal lives, in our communities, and in our churches, that we don't become complacent. In our evangelism, in our ministries, that we are progressively seeking what it is that God wants us to do so that we can have a greater impact for the glory of God. That's not what they are doing. They've decided this is good and we're just going to settle in right here. We are to live our lives in reality that this is not our home. We are future residents of the kingdom of God, my friend. And our job on this earth until the Lord returns is to recruit future residents for the kingdom of God. This is not our home. We need to stay on task. We have to have precision and tension as we seek forward. We are to go and tell others of the great and wonderful things that Jesus Christ has done. And if we simply settle and arrive, then we will be doing the same thing these people are doing here. There were a people that spoke the same words, understood each other, They had arrived at a place that they didn't need to move beyond where they were. And they just became content. So you have to ask yourself, am I settling? How do we know they settled? Well, look at verse 3. They said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used... Brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. For what to build a city? These people are about to build for themselves this gigantic city. And I would say that they are settling in nice and comfortably. They like the property. They like the view. And what better place than to establish the community than right there where they are. The people had done what seemed convenient instead of what was commanded. And we are not above this same ability to sin as ancient Babel. 
As Jesus reminds us to go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. I want us to keep moving in that direction. I want to encourage you to ask yourselves the question, are you investing in eternal things? Are you sharing the hope of Christ in your arena, in your community? Because the reality is, is my community is not your community in many senses. You will encounter people I will never encounter. Do I have a community of people? Of course I do. And it is my job to most effectively communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people whom God has placed around me. But it is likely also the same for you. And we need each person on deck to fulfill the work of the ministry. This is not a cruise ship. This is an aircraft carrier by which we come on board and we are equipped for this work of the saints of the ministry. And then we are to depart off the aircraft carrier and go into spiritual battle for the gospel. But that's not what they're doing. They've settled. My personal desire is to settle. <laughs> Buy some land. Build for myself that which is comfortable. But in reality, no matter where I live and what I buy, this is not my home. Because about the time I get it just the way I want it, God's going to go, take me home to be with Him. Darn, I didn't get to spend much time in it. We have to have a, an attention to be focused on what it is that God wants for us. One day when I lay down in that grave, in that casket, I'll be brought to the place for which is home. And that is with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I won't miss anything about this place. Because I know that my family will reside with me one day. For those who place their faith in Jesus Christ, our hope is heaven. It is a relationship that we will experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. We will be able to commune with Him. Paul longed for that day, didn't he? So should we. Our purpose for life here on earth is to live and to bring glory and honor to God. That's what we are to do. But it's hard to do that. But God wants us to spread Christians all over the world. And I pray that one day my children will follow God's call on their lives. And I pray that my kids will do what God has called them to do and not just simply settle. That should be our prayer for all of our children. We don't talk about missionaries anymore, do we? Go to college. Get a degree. Make big bucks. What about missions? Missions used to be a big thing. Now we, we're lucky if we even hear about it. No, I, I hope my children follow the Lord. That they get out there in the highways and byways and into the streets and into the jungles and into the bayous and into the wilderness and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ when they can and where they can and the doors are open for them. 
Now, that may be in a business community, that may be not in the business community, but wherever it is that you find yourself, I want you to know that is your mission field. You may not be a, an evangelist, you may not be a preacher, you may not even be a missionary, but I want you to know that you are the only theologian that many will ever know. So how are you doing? You just settling in to be a good business person and make tons of money and praise God. Go to be with Jesus. No, I, I want you as individuals to know that you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. God has taken up residence in you at conversion. You, you were born again. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And you have the, the gift of eternal life. It's time that we speak out for that which we believe to be true. If you honestly believe that if they fail to believe the gospel, that they will burn in eternal hell and judgment, and wrath of God, then it ought to spark your bubble to tell people about Jesus. Either you don't know what hell is, or you have no compassion for the lost. Or you really don't believe the gospel. That which is in you will come out, my friend. That which is in you will come out. So my encouragement to you is utilize your God-given ability. He has given you spiritual gifts for the edification of the body of Christ, ultimately for the purpose of gospel ministry, equipping the saints for the work to go out and to do what God has called them to do. Not to settle in and be complacent and build for yourselves a, a, a name and build a reputation. These people were rebelling against God. It was their desire. So while we see man's rebellion, secondly, we see man's desire for reputation. The reason behind Noah and his family and their desire for rebellion is because they deemed themselves wiser than God. They found themselves more important than God. He says here in verses 4 and 5 of Genesis 11, they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the, over the, face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down and to see the city and the tower that the men were building. This is an act of rebellion because what we don't see in the context and what you don't see in the Greek to Eng or Hebrew to English is the idea that this was a tower not going into heaven. That would be impossible. But reach to the heavens. This was a tower that have contained within the inside uh, images of moons and stars and, and, and tile. And in the center of that tower would have been the throne of God. Nebuchadnezzar built one. We see it in the pyramids. They were in active rebellion against Almighty God. And God knew that if He left them to themselves, there would be nothing. There would be no sin that would be too impossible for them. 
This tower was a stairway to heaven. The people were rebellious and they thought that they could attempt to gain their own efforts, that which only God can give. Listen, you today, I want you to understand there is no access to God apart from the Son, Jesus Christ. Now, I know towers are known and as places of safety in Scripture, but there is only one tower that is a true place of refuge. We read about that tower in Proverbs, that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. You can't work your way to God. You can't gain enough reputation to make it right with God. No, you and I have broken the law of God and we have sinned and there is a separation between us and our God and there needs to be a Redeemer who steps in to build the gap of separation that has taken place because you'll never do it through morality. You'll never do it through good works. You'll never do it by reading your Bible or going to church. Those things are good, yes, but they don't save. They don't even help save. They said, let us do this so that we will make a name for ourselves. Listen, a works-based salvation does the same thing. Look at what I do. Look at what I've done. It's the motto of our day, isn't it? To make a name for ourselves. Let's just be honest. We all want to be known. We don't want to be lonely set apart, not known by anybody. No, no, we, we, we genuinely, humanly speaking, want to make a name for ourselves. I mean, when I started a business, I didn't know I was just going to start a bit. No, I wanted a good business. I wanted one that was successful, that was known. Right? So we have to be very careful that what we do isn't to build a reputation for ourselves, but rather to honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ through what He and how He is blessing us. I mean, we send our kids to play sports so that they'll become superstars and make millions and one day support mommy and daddy. We send our kids off to college and we want them to become educated. Why? So that they can just... Serve the Lord Jesus Christ? Probably not, so that they can become successful in the business world. Because you can't be successful without going to college. That's what they say. The problem what they don't tell you is everybody's doing it, so you're no different than anybody. I think we're living in a day when people need to get a trade and they need to understand that and serve and do what it is that God has called them to do. We need people who can work on a motor, especially at Chevrolet dealership. Amen. <laughs> but there is a fine balance, isn't there? We have to make sure that what we're doing is not to build a name for ourselves. We have to make sure that as a church, oh, we, we, we want all of these things to unfold, but not so that people can go, oh, you know, Stuart and the elders have done a great job. No, 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 no. Look what God's doing. Look what God, He wants all the glory. He doesn't share His glory with anybody. He is God. He deserves all honor and glory and praise. So we have to make sure that what we are doing is not for the sake of making a name for ourselves. It, and let's just be frankly honest. If we, if we want to make a name for ourselves, if we want to just build numbers, listen, 
we can dress up like clowns and have a circus and get the whole community to come out. But we're not going to do that for the gospel. No, no, we're going to preach the truth. Because the truth is what sets free. The truth is what liberates. The truth is what delivers. But let me tell you this, the truth divides. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. We have to make sure that we are not changing our message to make it more palatable for the people. You know, my job is to preach myself out of a job, really. But I think what we found is that there are many places and many opportunities to go and sit in a building and have someone speak to you, but people are sick and tired of the watered-down Word of God. This morning, all across this nation, people will not even quote a Bible verse barely. And there is a famine in the land of the Word of God. And we should have a hunger and a thirst for the things of God. Not because we want to gain a reputation, but because we want to honor and glorify God. Listen, the reality is, as I know, every church I've ever been in, if I preach the truth, I may get fired. And you know what? That's why we planted a church. (laughs) Because we found people who had a heart for the gospel and had a yearning and a passion for the things of God, and that would uphold the truth and the sufficiency of the Word of God. We need nothing outside of this Word to sustain us for life and for godliness. It is absolutely sufficient. And therefore, we want to preach it. We want to love the Word of God. We want to honor the Word of God. Because it is the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Salvation comes by hearing and hearing the stories of Stuart. No! Hearing the Word of God. My job is to preach the Word and allow the Spirit of God through the working of this Word to reveal the will of God in your life. That's what we need. We don't need to make a name for ourselves. I am a, I, listen, I am a nobody. I am nobody apart from whom God has made me to be. And whatever God deems that to look like, that's what it'll look like. But think no more highly of yourselves than you ought to think, but rather think so as to have sound judgment, for God is allotted to each a measure of faith. My faith is not your faith, and your faith is not my faith in regards to the amount that you may have. But be faithful to what God has allotted to you. Use the gifts and the abilities that God has given you for the edification and the building up of the body of Christ. Because this is not a one-man show. This is a team sport. This takes men and women working together for the purpose of edifying the body of Christ, exalting Christ, lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ, having a high view of God. And when we do that and we love one another and we have compassion for one another and we pray for one another, we come alongside of one another, the world will go, wow, I want to be a part of that. Why? Because that ain't happening out there. But Jesus said in John 13, they will know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. There is not one person in this room that is greater than another.
You are a child of God. You are created in the image of God. And we all have a role and responsibility. And the question is, are we willing to fulfill that purpose? It's not about making a name. That's like what the Pharisees did. Religious deeds so that they could be noticed by men. Fasting and looking famished. No, he says fast and not be famished, but put on oil so that no one will know that you are fasting. Let, let your right hand not know what your left hand is doing. But we do desire to be noticed and we have to be careful. We want our names to be out there so that people see who's doing what. Welcome to the Western world. The world of making a name for ourselves. So we need to check ourselves. We need to ask a few questions. Am I buying this? Am I seeking a promotion? Am I doing this or that? So that I can feel better about myself? So that I can make an appearance? Am I wearing these clothes to draw attention to myself? Am I, am I doing these things for my own glory? Or am I doing them for the glory of God? There's nothing wrong with having those things. It's a matter of the heart. Nothing wrong with being a millionaire, a billionaire, whatever it is, a trillionaire. What matters is your heart. Because let me remind you, God doesn't bless everybody with talents. The same way He blesses others. He doesn't bless everybody with the same amount of time. But are you faithful with what He has blessed you? Some have time. Some have greater talents and some have greater treasure. And not one of those are more important than the other, but they're all needed so that we can glorify God and we can reach this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is one purpose in my soul, and that is to share the hope of Jesus Christ as far and as wide as I can and to invest in this body of Christ so that I, in my best ability, through the Word of God, can equip you to go out and do the same thing. We need to check ourselves. We know what man's primary purpose is for in life. And what we see here in chapter 11 is a failure of that. The goal have shifted from glorifying God and enjoying Him forever to, to, to rather promoting their own reputation. Because if we're not careful, we'll fall into the same trap. Are we doing the things we're doing to bring glory to God? We see man's desire for rebellion. We see also that for reputation. And now, thirdly, we see God's restraint against man. God responds to these men's building of this city and tower. Here in verse 6, Then the Lord said, As if one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do would be impossible for them. God is about to jump into the mix. The will of God will not be tested. Things will fall in the manner for which He desires. Why? Because He is sovereign. He is in control of every aspect and every element within this world we live. And His purpose will not be overturned. We don't have the power. We don't have the ability. We might think we do, but we don't. It says nothing they plan will be impossible for them. 
I don't believe that God is saying here that they can reach heaven's domain. I don't think that's what they're saying. I love what one commentator responded when he said this phrase, nothing will be impossible for them, likely refers not to the height of accomplishment that mankind might achieve, but to the depths of sin which man is capable of falling. In other words, God could be saying, if I let their sin go and check, there's no telling how much worse it will get. No rebellion will be too great for them. I have to ask myself the question, God, what are you waiting on today? This world we live is wicked. It's confused. And it's many times missing the eternal purpose. But there is a God in heaven who in the midst of this messed up world for which we live has given hope. And I hope and I pray, my desire is that you all will place your faith in Jesus Christ so that you too can have the hope of eternal life. Because if your only hope is to accomplish that which you can build your reputation here on this earth, how pitiful is that? Because in light of eternity, this life is but a vapor. And here God steps in to restrain. We need to try and understand that by God's grace, He has given rules, He has given laws, He has given standards. If we didn't have faithful police officers in our day, things would get very out of control. And I know it's not a topic we like to talk about, but it's a biblical topic. God created government for the people. For the punishment of evil. And it doesn't matter how wicked it gets. God's intention is still God's intention. God had a purpose. That was His common grace onto humanity. And while there is a lot of jacked up stuff happening today, we need to understand that God is able. God sometimes steps in for the better of us. And God in His mercy restrains this people. And I believe today God does the same in our lives. Aren't you glad that the Spirit of God takes up residence in you and restrains you from doing that which you want to do? That's why Paul says, I say walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. For they are in opposition to one another. Listen, the reality is as many times we like to suppress the Spirit of God who lives in us so that we can accomplish that which we desire in the flesh. That's not God's desire. And so when you go out into the into your working world, into your environment, wherever it is, and you make a decision to sin, I pray that God would restrain you from that. That He would convict your heart of sin. That He would convict your heart about how you speak to someone. He would convict your heart about how you treat your spouse. He would convict your heart about how you've stolen from this person or that person. That He would convict your heart that you know that you know that you're having an affair on your spouse. I pray that God would restrain you from getting into those circumstances. But know this. 
It's only those who are born again who have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. The Holy Spirit is in you that comes alive. That's not how it works. No, He, he takes up residence in you, which pre-assumes He didn't live there before. You were indwelt with the Spirit of God at conversion. And so He restrains things for us. And He even restrains things from us, I believe, for our benefit. Oh, I want this so, so bad. I mean, I can taste it. Not today, God says. Nah, not today. Maybe not even tomorrow. You ain't ready for it, Pastor. Okay, Lord. I really want this. But not my will be done, your will be done. Are we okay with that? Because if we're not careful, we'll desire something so bad, we'll push God to the side so we can accomplish it. And sometimes, He'll give it to you. And you end up where you don't want to be. So He restrains us like He restrained them. And if God didn't restrain my nature and my desire the way to have things the way I wanted it, I would like them build a name for myself. And boy, nothing would be impossible for me. I praise God every day for the Holy Spirit that convicts me of my sin. I'm not standing up here as a perfect man. I got issues just like you got issues. Now, I might not write them down and put them out for the public to see but my wife can see every one of my issues. My children can see every one of my issues. But see, it's a whole lot easier when you know I ain't perfect and I know you ain't perfect and that you need the work of God in your life like I need the work of God in my life and I can freely forgive and I can freely ask for forgiveness. That's important because we all make mistakes. God restrains here these people like He does in our day. You may not think about it, but what are those things not working that you want to accomplish, that you keep trying and trying and trying, but no matter how hard you try, it just doesn't work itself out. Maybe God is restraining for His good and for the good of you. He knows best, right? His ways are higher than our ways. We may never understand on this side of heaven something that we really want to understand. And that's okay. Because His ways are always better for us. He knows best. So leave the rest up to Him. Here we see God's restraint against man and fourthly we see God's reversal against man. How did the Lord restrain these people? Well, let's read and find out. Verse 7 to 9. Come, let us go down. I love that idea of us, the plurality of God, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all working in unity together. Let us go down and confuse their languages, language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord, Yahweh, stretched, uh, scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel. Because there the Lord Yahweh confused the language of the whole world. From there Yahweh scattered them over the face of the whole earth. 
And I find this very interesting. The main thing for these people in which they were trying to do was make a name for themselves. But God says, let's go down and confuse their language. The name for which they were trying to obtain, now they can't even understand each other. He has really frustrated their plans, hasn't he? But he doesn't stop there. No, he's God. He's going to accomplish his purpose. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth. And they stopped building the city. You know, you can fight against God's will. But God's will will be done. One way or the other. One way or the other. He reverses everything they've been doing. You know, it may be the same reason your plans are in shambles. I don't know what your plans are. I don't know what your purposes are. I don't know what God's called you to, but I know some people are frustrated. And no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard it is you try to accomplish what it is you're trying to accomplish, God just keeps your plans in shambles. Sometimes our punishment for that pride is very reversal of our prideful intentions. Because I believe what we see is an act of pride and rebellion against God. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God has a special way, doesn't He, of showing us that we have left Him out of the equation. But if, even in the midst of what's going on, we can trust that even this is for our good. Why? Because the character of God is good. Do you know that God is a good God this morning? Do you know that even in those circumstances which you face today, the struggles, the temptations, the acts of rebellion that only you and God know, that hidden addiction you have, that circumstance that you want nobody else to know, do you know that God is a good God? I think we need that reminder. Yes, He's a God of wrath. It's coming. There's no doubt about it. But He's offered you today grace. He's offered today mercy and forgiveness. If you owed me a million dollars, and I said, if you'll just come to me, I'll sign that receipt paid in full. Would you not do it? Yes, you would. You would be crazy not to do it. God is offering you a clean slate today. He's offering you a clean slate through His Son, Jesus Christ. Draw whatever you want on the board. Put it all out there for Him. Reveal every hidden thing to Him because He already knows. He is an omniscient God. He is an all-powerful God. He is an all-loving God. He is an all-merciful God. So write it down on the board.
The good, the bad, and the ugly. And when you put your faith in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that God left heaven and became a man and died on the cross in your place as your substitutionary atonement, He took your wrath, He took your sin and placed it upon Himself so that you can benefit from His perfect and sinless life. And when you place your faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, He will come and He will wipe that clean. And He will cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. Let us not become a people of confusion. Let us not be a people of our own reputation. God didn't leave us with a confused plan. And that is what we see here in chapter 11. One of the sons of Noah, Shem, which we didn't know in the moment, but we know now because we have all of the book written through his line, becomes the Jewish race. And we see God's plan to bring together His chosen people and a people which God showed mercy and that He would grant great salvation. That He would grant to you and to me also as non-Jews, as Gentiles, salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. So you can leave here today trying to fulfill your own plans and your own objectives and your own purpose. And you can be smart and wise and powerful. And, but what shall it profit a man who gained the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? My, my plea today for each one, for those that have never put their faith in Jesus Christ, that, they, that you would call on Him today. The Bible says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Not might be, but shall be saved. So what are you waiting on? Today is the day of salvation. Now is the appropriate time. And for all of you who have already put your faith in Jesus Christ, today let us approach His throne of grace and ask for forgiveness. For building for ourselves our own reputation. For settling in to accomplish what we want rather than bowing our knee to the sovereign King of kings and Lord and Lord and saying, Lord, have your way. If that be here, amen. If that be here, amen. If that be here, amen. May we give Him glory in any one of those areas. God is not a God of confusion. But He confused the people to accomplish His purpose. And we see that. So let us respond by faith in Jesus Christ so that we can know the plan He has for our life, for His glory, to enjoy Him, to love Him, to honor Him, to exalt Him in everything we do. Let's pray. This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. And be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org. And come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m.